We're going to look at a passage from the book of Titus, chapter 2, verses 11 to 14, uh, as the basis for this. I titled this message, God's Grace Saves and Trains His People to Do Good. In this passage tonight, we have an outline of what a Christian can be and is to be through salvation in his or her life. The reason a Christian is able to live in a manner that's pleasing to God is because they are saved. And they have repented and they've given their life to God. None of us here tonight who are Christians were able to live the way we now live before we gave our life to Christ. I know I wasn't able to. If we were able to live godly, to do good on our own, then we would not need salvation. Until we came to salvation, we did not have the capacity to live free from the life of self and evil. And even in salvation, there is still the old nature. That old nature that's always trying to resurrect itself and cause us to do bad or to do evil. And it is more vital than ever before that we walk close to the Lord so the old nature is kept in the grave. The passage we're going to look at tonight shows us that the teacher is God's grace, which is revealed by our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This passage is one of the clearest uh, passages on grace and its results. Let me read the passage. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 14. It says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. This passage begins by telling us that grace brings salvation to all. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Grace is the undeserved favor of God toward man. Grace, God's grace means that God shows unmerited favor and blessing to those who do, not, who do not deserve it or earn it. We deserve his judgment. We deserve his wrath. But he shows us favor. God's grace is without expectation or return, of return. It is constant. It is an incredible, awesome imparting to us. When he sheds his grace on us. Grace belongs to God alone. When you think about this. And consider all that this means. What an incredible thought. Think about that. It means that any sinner can be saved. God's grace can free a sinner from the condemnation of sin. Just like the song that they played a little bit of. Amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. 
Verse 11 also tells us that grace brings salvation. It says, for the grace of God that brings salvation. Salvation simply means to be saved. To be cleansed from, from sin by the blood of Jesus. The incredible sacrifice he made for our salvation. In this same passage, verse 14 describes salvation. He says, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people. Revelation 1.5 says, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins by his own blood. The Christian, the person who has been redeemed, has been delivered from the penalty of sin. From the penalty of judgment and the awfulness of both. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Salvation means that the person who gives his or her life to Jesus can go to heaven when they leave this earth. In John 14.1-3, Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. Doesn't that sound inviting? Oh my gosh, I want to be there. I can't wait. This is a promise from Jesus to those who have repented and given their life to him. Verse 11 also tells us that salvation has appeared to all men. That's incredible. This, that, this phrase here in this verse is incredible. It says grace has appeared. And this is referring to the incarnation of grace in the person of Jesus Christ. It's speaking of Jesus. John 1.14 backs this up. It says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. And it says, full of grace and truth. The word appeared here in verse 11 means, it means to shine a light upon. To show forth or, and so to become visible and to be made clear or manifest. So Jesus Christ, the grace of God has become visible. He has shown the light upon. Luke 1, 78 and 79 says, through, through the tender mercies of our God, with which the day spring from on, high, from on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And, and you know what, you guys? The fascinating fact is that the light of Jesus was prophesied centuries before. In the book of Isaiah, for instance, uh, chapter 9, verse 2, it, we are told, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. That was written way before Jesus appeared. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. The doctrine of grace is woven throughout the whole Bible, both Old and New Testament. I love the way one person put this. He said, grace 
was not an addition to God's plan. Grace was a part of God's plan from the very beginning. God dealt with Adam and Eve in grace. He dealt with the patriarchs in grace. And he dealt with the nation of Israel in grace. He gave the law through Moses not to replace his grace, but to reveal man's need for grace. Law was temporary, but grace is eternal. But as the law made man's sin increase, God's grace abounded even more. God's grace was more than adequate to deal with man's sins, even though sin and death still reign in this world. God's grace is also reigning through the righteousness of Christ. It's all woven throughout the whole Bible. The Old Testament simply anticipated and prepared for the full appearance of grace that became manifest in the New Testament through Jesus Christ. This saying, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared, it means that salvation has been shown forth and made available to anyone who would repent and give their lives to Jesus. This great grace came forth to penetrate our moral and spiritual darkness. And it's not for us to abuse, but to value and to grow from. Notice what the end verse 11 tells us. It says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, to all men. Now, Paul, here in this passage, by saying that, he's not saying that the entire world is saved just because Jesus appeared. But what this is telling us is that the message of God's grace has been made available to all men and women without distinction or partiality. 2 Peter 3.9 declares that the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Salvation is available to all, but it is not but it is dependent on a person's response on hearing the gospel. So grace brings salvation, but it doesn't stop there. Grace also teaches those who give their lives to Jesus to live in daily sanctification, to be set apart for the Lord. Once a person chooses to receive the free gift of salvation, the person knows that he or she can And is to live a different way of life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. When a person gives their life to the Lord, there are things of the old life that are over with. And the person who gives his or her life to the Lord is to now live different from the crazy times and that, that we see going on in our society and in the world. Verse 12 begins by telling us two things. Salvation teaches us to avoid ungodliness and worldly lust. Notice it says, teaching us to deny ungodliness. Ungodliness is a lack of reverence toward God. Ungodliness speaks of a person's heart attitude. Ungodliness is failing to give God his due, his due place in our hearts and lives. It's being unconcerned whether my conduct pleases or displeases the Lord. 
It is a refusal to retain the Lord in my heart with a habit of mind that leads to rebellion against the Lord. And we live in a day and an age when many totally reject God's influence in every area of their life. We see this happening all around us. From those who want to take one nation under God out of the Pledge of Allegiance to stopping high school football teams from praying before a football game. But for, for, but for the believer, as a new creation in Christ, we are to firmly reject this attitude. We are to allow the Lord all influence in our life. The person who has given their life to the Lord is now able to deny ungodliness. To say no to the things that are not of the Lord. And he can do this by the power of the Holy Spirit and the word of God working in us. There is now to be conviction of sin. Where we don't have to yield to sin like we used to. There can now be a conscious ability to deny those thoughts and those words and actions that are opposed to godliness. Instead of living ungodly like those who, do not, who have not received salvation. Salvation teaches us to deny ungodliness. Verse 12 also tells us that salvation teaches the believer to deny worldly lusts. Worldly lusts are desires that are according to the worldly standards and a result lead to immoral behavior against the Lord and against his will. And the way this is worded, denying us, denying worldly lusts, it's implying that this world is bad or corrupt. That's the implication. 1 John 2, 15-17 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. This world is passing away, you guys. That's why we're here tonight. To offer salvation in Jesus Christ. Second Peter 1, 2-4 gives us a beautiful description of what God wants to accomplish in all of our lives. Listen to this. It says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. And then listen to this. It says, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. God wants to take us from our fallen state. He wants to redeem us. Take away the earthly, sensual, devilish nature. The desire of our Lord is to remove this and to make us partakers of his divine nature. And God desires to impart his divine nature so that we can live a real life, live in godliness and escape the corruption that is in this crazy world. 
Salvation teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly lusts. Verse 12 goes on to give us the positive side of giving our life to the Lord what we are to do. Things that a Christian can embrace in the new life in Christ. The life of a person who gives his or her life to Christ is not just living a life that says no to bad things, but is taking part in the best things that the life in Christ has to offer. And it's not just a life of don't do this or don't do that. It's not just a life of avoidance, but it's a life of great and right things that can be embraced in the Christian life. Paul also teaches us, uh, seeks to encourage us in this. The middle of verse 12 tells us that we should live soberly. To live soberly has the meaning of being self-controlled and having a sound mind. It speaks of how we conduct ourselves, having self-control over our, over our impulses, over our emotions, over our desires. This is a form of self-control that says yes to what we should do and is only accomplished, accomplished through the Spirit of God working in us. One person put it this way, he said, Believers are new creations in Christ and thus are called to live now with the saved mind of Christ which is a sound mind because it takes in sound, healthy food and is able to make sensible, disciplined, and prudent decisions in an upside-down world that is drunk with a myriad of intoxicating delights that appeal to the old flesh, the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. Salvation teaches us to live soberly. Verse 12 also tells us that salvation teaches us to live righteously. Righteously is the desire to have sin replaced with integrity. The desire to have obedience replaced by obedience in right or or righteousness or right living, rightness in our life. It's living a life in the Lord that is willing to act on God's word and the will of God. There are a lot of people that are hungering for all kinds of things. There are people who hunger for power. There are people who who hunger for authority, who hunger for success, comfort, happiness. But how many hunger for and thirst for righteousness? The believer's life is to be marked by a desire for more maturity, a desire to be conformed more and more to the character of Jesus Christ. Romans 6, 12 and 13 says, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Paul also said in verse 16 of of Romans 6, do, not, do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves to obedience, slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? The pursuit and practice of righteousness in our life pursuing the character of God is to be the goal of the believer. And it's to be the goal in all areas of our life, in all our activities. 
Salvation teaches this. So we see, so, so as we see our society and our culture just decaying and crumbling, as we see more and more unrighteousness, how can we live soberly? How can we live righteously and godly in a world full of immorality and wickedness? Verse 13 of this passage gives us the answer. We are to be looking for Jesus continually. Notice what verse 13 tells us. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The word looking in this verse is the key. It means expectantly waiting. Not too long ago, my son flew in from Texas. And I picked him up at the airport. Went down to LAX. As I was looking forward to the arrival of, of his flight, of the plane, I was not uncertain of the arrival. But I was expectantly waiting for my son to arrive. That's the idea of looking for the blessed hope in this verse. Expectantly waiting. And verse 13 is worded in the present tense, which means that this is to be the believer's continual attitude in the present day. And I think a lot of believers have lost sight of looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It seems like there was a time when Christians had that expectancy of the Lord's return, of the Lord's soon return. Uh, It just seems to me like that has diminished for a lot of people. Our attitudes always influence our actions. So having the attitude of expectantly looking for the Lord's soon return, it's going to have a great effect on the way we are living. If we have this attitude, it's going to work its way into our our daily practical um, choices. It's going to be a motivating factor in our moment-by-moment choices to put away sin if we're looking for Jesus' return. And time has nearly expired, people. And the soon return for, of Christ for his church is, is at the door. And we must live expectantly looking for the blessed hope. Listen to what 1 John 3, 2 and 3 says to the Christian. It says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And then it says, And everyone who has this hope purifies him, purifies himself, just as he is pure. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself. Just as he is pure. Truly realizing and living with the expectation of the Lord coming back today is going to affect how we live. It will affect what we do. It's going to affect what we say. It's going to affect where we go. It's a purifying agent. On the other hand, Jesus taught that if we have the mindset, the attitude that the Lord is not coming back at any time soon, it will have another type of effect on our lives. 
Jesus said in Matthew 24, If that evil servant says in his heart, My master is delaying his coming, and begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him, and at an hour that he is not aware of, and will cut him in two and appoint his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So the person who disbelieves the Lord's soon return, according to this passage, is going to begin to eat and drink with the drunkards. In other words, it's going to be a party time attitude. The Lord's not coming back for a while, so let's party. It's, it's the attitude of not even thinking that in my lifetime, He's coming back, so let's party. And I'll only go to church once in a while. Maybe on Easter. Maybe I'll go to church only because my parents make me go to church. I'll only read the Bible once in a while if there's nothing good on TV. An important way to live godly, soberly, righteously is to truly realize that the blessed hope of the soon return of Jesus Christ can happen at any time. Any day. And you know what? If it doesn't happen in a given day, then you can count it as a victorious day. Because we walk righteously, we walk soberly, we walk godly. Because there's nothing like walking closely with the Lord. There's nothing like ending the day knowing that I walked with God. And I pray that we would be people who live every day with the expectation of the blessed hope, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if we do, our lives will be more godly, righteous, and fruitful. Luke 12, 37 says, Blessed are those servants whom the Master, when he comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat, and will come to serve them. I love that. Jesus loves to eat. I'm serious. Do a study on this. He, you know, he made fish for the guys when they came back from from fishing. He says, and, you know, and if you come to me, I, we will sup together. He likes to eat. I love that. I love my Lord, man. He's awesome. <laughs> God's amazing grace gives the Christian hope. Hope is something the world desperately needs. Hope is something the world is looking for. And maybe you're here tonight and you're desiring hope. Maybe you're desiring hope in your life. Maybe you're feeling hopeless. I want to share a psalm for you that, that gives good counsel. Psalm 42.5. It says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? And then the verse gives the remedy. It says, Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Hope in God. Put your trust in God. And you can do this tonight. There is hope in God who loves you and gave his son to die for your sins and mine. Look at verse 14 of tonight's passage. It tells us what Jesus did for us. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. 
He gave himself for our sins that he might redeem us from this crazy, evil age. The word redeem there means to deliver someone who is held captive, someone who's a prisoner, someone who's a slave. And like I said earlier, a Christian before giving his or her life to the Lord was held captive. And we were held captive to every lawless deed. But by giving our lives to the Lord, we have been delivered from that captivity. I love the way God works in a person's lives. His ways are not the ways of the world. Being a slave to sin is bondage. But being a slave to God is freedom. It's, it's being set free from the dominance of sin. In other words, when we give our lives to the Lord, it's true freedom that now has the capacity to yield our will to the Lord's good and perfect will. And as a result, become all that he created us to be. And it's having the ability to now be free, to live an abundant, victorious life that's pleasing to God, being led by his spirit and his word. Salvation delivers the redeemed from enslavement enslavement to the power of sin. And maybe you're here tonight and you're a slave to sin. Maybe you're watching over the internet and you know you're a slave to sin. I'm here to tell you tonight that you can be redeemed. You can be set free from the power of sin in your life. Paul is exhorting the believers to now live like people who have been redeemed and been set free to serve a new master. And at the end of verse 14, we have the intended goal, the, the, out, the, the, the whole goal of what God wants to do. He says, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed. And then he says, and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. The Lord desires to purify us, to purify purify us for himself, for his own special possession. It reminded me of the guy in Matthew 8 who was a leper, who came to Jesus and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And then Jesus put out his hand. And touched him saying, I am willing. Be cleansed. And immediately, that guy's leprosy was cleansed. But it made me think that Jesus not only can purify a person on the outside, but he can purify a sinner on the inside of lawless deeds as well. And my hope and my prayer for this passage tonight is twofold. If you're a Christian... I pray that you would allow the great grace that brought you salvation to continue to teach you to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. That we would all continue to live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. And our lives with a renewed expectation of the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you're here tonight and have not given your life to the Lord, I want you to know that salvation is available tonight. It's made possible by the historical, incredible, awesome appearance of God's grace, Jesus Christ. And it is to be received tonight because the Bible tells us that tomorrow is promised to no man. You don't know what's going to happen when you leave this place tonight. 
I read a story of a prince who was indicted for allegedly squandering $16 billion of his country's wealth. Over a 10-year period, the prince is believed to have lost huge sums through poor judgment and bad investments. His nation's high court said that he spent $2.7 billion just on aircraft, yachts, cars, and jewelry. And this story made me think, as God is here tonight to forgive us, as his grace opens the door for change, how tragic it would be to waste a spiritual fortune instead of allowing the riches of his grace to transform our lives. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now, Lord. And Father, as your word has come forth, Father, as your spirit has spoken, Father, I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here tonight, Lord, that needs salvation, Lord. Father, I pray there's, if there's anyone who has walked away from you, Lord, that they would come back to their first love, Lord. And Father, I pray if, that, if there's someone here tonight or there's someone watching over the internet, that tonight would be the night of salvation. And as we're praying, as Christians are praying, If there's anyone who fits that tonight and you'd like to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, raise up your hand. Just slip it up so we can pray with you. Is there anyone here? I see your hand down here on the right side. God bless you. If there's anyone else here tonight that would like to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, now is the time. Tonight is the night of salvation. Raise your hands. We can acknowledge you and we can all pray with you. Anyone else? You know the hearts of people, Lord. You know the hearts of people. Pray this prayer with me, right where you sit, brother. Lord, I come to you in Jesus' name. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Cleanse me. Wash me. Purify me. From this day forward, I will walk with you. Magnify your word in my life. I give my heart to you tonight. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you give your life to the Lord, my brother over here, John is going to, he'd love to talk to you and give you a Bible free, give you a growth packet, just share some uh, instruction on what you just committed to, and uh, go talk to him. God bless you, bro, for accepting Jesus tonight. Amen. Amen.